0: The ones have all the button Merry Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Good to see you. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Well, did anybody eat too much like me? A few honest people here, right? You know, and we say that every year, I'm not going to have this. I've already had four turkey sandwiches since Thanksgiving, and I think I'm done. Well, so glad you're here, and uh, what a great, this is the most wonderful, as the songs say, most wonderful time of the year, isn't it, Christmas? The lights, the music, uh, the fun shopping all the great stuff that's going on out there. It's just awesome. I love this time of the year. I just want to, first of all, welcome our friends up at Life Church Mid Coast and anybody online tuning in. Thanks for being here and checking us out and enjoy the service today. Uh, if we could first pray and then we'll get started. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity to share your word and your message. Lord, we ask that it's your words that we hear today. Lord, we also ask that give everyone ears to hear what they need to hear. We ask that in Jesus name. Amen. Well, you know, as I was getting ready for this message, I, I love Thanksgiving. I love the whole idea of, I love food, but I love that my mom makes this amazing meal. And, and I just love, just love the whole atmosphere and eating food. And did I say I like food? No. And, uh, but I was re- I reading, uh, some of these, um, uh, things that kids say about Thanksgiving. And I thought I'd share a few that kind of tickled me a little bit. One, uh, a gal named uh, Lily, age eight, said, I love when we come together as family for Thanksgiving, but please, can I just only eat dessert? And Emma, age nine, said, one thing about Thanksgiving is that you have to wait to eat. She says, you know, everybody stands up and says, there's one thing I want to say before we eat. She says, no, 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 Let's start first eating. And Annie, age four, says, we get to shoot turkeys. She must be a main girl, huh? <laughs> And then Jensen, age seven, says, my mom and aunt always go to Target after dinner. They must sleep there because I don't see them till the next day. (laughs) Oh, fun things kids say. Well, I'm going to recap a little bit about uh, what Brian and, and Pastor Brian started with this, this whole series of Merry Heart, and it's great. If you haven't watched the, the, the movie The Christmas Carol or read the book, I'd highly recommend it because uh, it is a great story. And the, the movie that Jim Carrey did a few years ago, that's the one we've been using these clips. It's just so awesome, and it, it's really been a blessing to be able to watch it. Well, Pastor Brian talked about this whole idea of this little monster that we all have in us. Called greed, and I, I found a definition of greed. It says a selfish and excessive desire for more of something that is needed. An excessive desire for more. An excessive desire for more. Now, how many would say that maybe you have a little bit of greed in your life? Half of you. So the other ones are dealing with pride. Now, <laughs> we all have a little bit, don't we? We all have a, We all want our own way, or we're selfish in certain areas, and. And, and, and Pastor, Pastor B gave us an uh, introduction to this guy called Ebenezer Scrooge, right, in the Christmas Carol movie. I mean, he's such a good-looking chap, isn't he? He's so happy. Look at him, man. What a scary face. Well, you know, although we might not all say we are full of greed, but we all have this, this disease. That Pastor Brian talked about this diagnosis that we have. We, are, we, we all have this little little monster called greed in our lives. And he he said that one of the things that fuels or feeds this whole idea of greed is the idea of lack. Lack, what am I missing? What is it? it? And he talked about Ebenezer Scrooge being a stage four level of greed. Maybe we're not there, but boy, could easily fall down that road if we're not careful. What am I missing? Eventually, greed creates a cynical attitude towards everything and everyone. We end up like, if, we're, if we allow it, we'll end up like this character called Scrooge, trusting no one. Everyone is out to get me. Everyone's out to take my stuff. What's the angle? What are the, what's, the, what's the catch? In Colossians, that scripture, put to death, therefore, every, whatever belongs to our earthly nature. It goes on, it says, agreed, which is idolatry. We all have this earthly nature. We all have this side that we struggle with. But if you read on in that scripture, it talks about this new nature, this new nature we receive in Christ. And it says, the closer we get to God, the more this new nature we get. It's kind of cool. Now, when I heard this first, when I first heard this word, idolatry, I had this thought, maybe like the, the movie, The Ten Commandments, or Charlton Heston, right? Everybody's seen that, you know? And, and, and they, what did the Israelites do after they came out of Egypt, they got a little discouraged, right? And they made this golden calf. And I thought, I'm never gonna worship a golden calf. Come on. Or maybe with something on a mantle and on, on, on somebody's, on a fireplace and, and we're gonna look at that and worship that. No, 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 no. Idolatry, and that's why God deals with it so much is because it is the one thing that separates us from him, greed. And we're gonna see in this, um, this, this Christmas carol, this clip about what greed can do and what it did to Ebenezer Scrooge and his relationship. So we see in, the, in this clip of the Christmas Carol that Ebenezer initially fell in love, right? But, but this fear of lack, that fuels this greed, it feeds this greed monster in all of us, got him such to the point where he was driven to make money. And it was all-encompassing, even more so than anything else, and eventually destroyed the relationship that he had that's why God deals with. It. he talks about greed as being this idol and why he's so strong on it. If you look at the Ten Commandments God gave to the Israelites, right, when they got out of Egypt and he said the first two said this, we must not have any other God but him. And we must not make any kind of idol to worship. We must not worship anything else. We must not put anything else above our relationship with him. Now we've been sold a bill of goods, folks. Our, our culture, our world, teaches us that. We need to get what's ours. Do whatever it takes to get your share. If you want something, got to take it. Even if it comes from somebody else, the survival of the fittest, the zero-sum game, you got to gain it, but somebody has to lose it. Well, back in the 80s, some of you probably weren't around then, but back in the 80s, there was this movie called Wall Street, and it was a cool movie. It was, it was about this tycoon named Gordon Gekko, and he was this ruthless, tycoon or just driven to acquire things at any cost and he was very successful and he gave this here's a picture of him he gave this famous speech in the movie that said greed is good it's greed is free went on and on and he promoted how important greed was and how was how honest it was it just went on and on and folks it's a lie as a kid, I used to love watching like these mafia movies and stuff because they were so cool. These, these dons or these capitans that were, you know, they were, the, they were these big deals and these godfathers that had it all. And I was like, wow, I want that. I would dream about stuff like that. Maybe not doing what they did, but just having what they had. But where do they all end up in the end? <laughs> Dead in jail or in some witch, wit, witness protection program or something like that. We forget about that part. The idea of lack or this fear that creates a drive in us that fuels greed. What does it turns us away from God? It's not wrong to be motivated. It's not wrong to have goals. It's not wrong to desire things. But do you have goals or do your goals have you? I know several people that have become very successful in life, but with the right heart, the merry heart, they do good with those resources. I read recently about a guy named Andrew Carnegie and many, many years ago, the turn of the century, he was one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest guy in this country. Started with nothing, was an immigrant, became, built uh, the empire. And he had a change of heart. And he devoted the rest of his life, he and his wife devoted the rest of their life, giving away his fortune, creating foundations that today have impacted all of us. They say his wealth is in today's dollars would be about 300 billion dollars. And what he did with that was created some foundations. I mean, you can't watch PBS without seeing the Carnegie Foundation or you at Carnegie Hall or they they he set his foundation set up over 2500 libraries in this world. Thousands of churches got the necessary things that they needed like organs and instruments and stuff like that. He set up hospitals and schools and several universities were financed by Andrew Carnegie and his wife. Some of his foundations were responsible for discovering insulin that is used today. One of his foundations was actually responsible for creating Sesame Street. And we all know life would be different without Sesame Street. (laughs) And when he died, he had something in his pocket and it was a card and it was like his motto. He said, the first half of my life, I want to earn as much as I can. The second half, I want to give it all away. Andrew had a merry heart. What he found was there was something that creates a merry heart. And it's this, it's contentment. Creates a merry heart. Contentment. Now, we, we, you know, when I first heard that word contentment, I was like, what does that mean? Does that mean, la-? I always thought it was equated laziness. Like, that, you know, oh, I, oh I'm, I'm good, I'm just sitting back. Everything's getting done, I don't have to do anything. It's not that at all. And it took me years to figure this out. It's not being lazy. It's basically enjoying the ride. It's enjoying every day, no matter what happens, the good, bad, whatever it is, enjoying every single day what's happening to you right now. Enjoying the job you have. Enjoying the boss you have. Enjoying the spouse you have. Enjoying the kids you have. Enjoying all the blessings in your life, the stuff that you have, your house or whatever is your car. I mean, I have a a car, it's two-toned, rust and red. (laughs) You know, and I I praise God every day when it starts. No, I'm just having a little fun with you, but you know, I'm not really hung up on that stuff anymore. It doesn't really matter. I get to point A to point B and I am happy. I am rejoicing and I'm really enjoying the ride because I'm content. Not that I don't want more, and it's okay to have that, but it's not to the point where it's my obsession. I heard a saying a long time ago that I, I try to live by, is that we always see in life what we're looking for, no matter what it is, in relationships and people and stuff and, and jobs or whatever it is, and here at church, we always see what we're looking for. We can see the good or the bad. We choose it because there's two sides to everything, isn't it? So the first thing that feeds greed is lack or this whole fear of lack or scarcity. The second thing is this idea of comparison. Comparison. We've all done it, haven't we? Nobody has. Great, just me, huh? Have we all compared ourselves? Come on, how about you guys in Bath? Yeah, you've all compared yourself to something, right? And even starting the very first couple, Eve, who saw, she saw that the tree was beautiful. And the fruit looked delicious. Now, she had the Garden of Eden. She had plenty of fruit. She had everything she wanted except for that tree. She wanted something she couldn't have. And she desired it. So much so that she took it. Well, comparison really is—it is, really creates competition for identity fueled by the desire for approval, acceptance, and validation. So we strive to better ourselves, not in what, God says, not in how God says in his word to better ourselves, but what the world says, what our culture says, the world's standards, you know? We should be like this. We should have this. We should work here. We should do that. We should look like this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? It almost becomes an obsession to us to do or have or to be like. I mean, look at us today. How many of you can admit to it like me? that you've been, you posted something on Facebook or Instagram, and how long does it take you to start looking at who likes it and who they are? Come on, I've done that. Have you all done that? Sure. You've all done that, right? None of us get up at 5 in the morning with our head and a big honking zit and, you know, take a picture of a selfie and say, hey, you know, living the dream. We don't do that. Only the best goes on there, right? Why? Because we're looking for approval, acceptance, and validation from what the world says is important. Well, comparison leads to discontentment, right? This unhappiness, this drivenness that I've got to have. Whatever, you fill in the blank. And then it leads to insecurity. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with my family? What's wrong with the people around me? What's wrong with this? What's wrong? And they start blaming everybody. And that eventually leads to fantasizing. Whoa. Fantasizing. What if I had this? Or what if I had that? What if I had a better... What if I had a, a different hair color or a tighter waist or a bigger this or that, whatever, I don't know. <laughs> you know. Or maybe if I had a, a spouse and, that really loved me. Or if only I only hit the lottery. I ever dream about that? I used to do it all the time. What if, I, what if, what if, you know, I hit the lottery, what would I do? Finally, that leads to Jealousy. And anger, and eventually hatred, and this hard heart that Ebenezer Scrooge had towards everybody in his life and everything. Comparison: If we look back, it says, "You know, maybe I need, I deserve a better job, don't I? I should have this. I really, I'm supposed to get that promotion. Oh, my boss, if they would just treat me better. <laughs> or my spouse, if she did, or he did this or that for me. My kids, if they would just listen." So, comparison will get you in trouble every time because there's always someone worse off than you. There's always someone worse off than you. (laughs) Now, who has the worst job? I don't know. You be the judge. Well, for me, it wasn't necessarily money. I'm one of these guys that will give you, if I have five bucks, I'll find a way to give you ten. I, I don't know. And maybe that's not good either, but it's just the way I was. I was raised that way. I don't know. That's my heart. So none, money never had me, but it was success. It was, the, uh, uh, it, was, it was the thought of success, of achievement. For me, at first, it was sports, because I was pretty good at sports. I was on football championship teams. And, and, it just, and I thought I was going to be a pro football player until I got to college and realized how small I really was and how big those guys were and how much it hurt. And then, then I learned over the years to play guitar. And I had a, a talent, and I thought that was going to be it. And I went to Orono my first year of college, and I spent most of my time not going to classes, but playing guitar, hours and hours and hours, trying out for bands, doing some studio work. It was going to make it. I remember my parents getting my first report card, and they had no idea. They'd never been to college. they go, Tom, 1.8, is that, is that good? <laughs> yeah, Ma, that's great. You know? <laughs> they figured it out eventually. So that didn't happen. Then it was business for me. And I remember achieving and acquiring and, and, and dr- being driven. And it was, to hear, it was for acceptance. It was to hear people say, hey, you know this guy, Tom, he owns this. He's done that and, he did that. and I just heard all these accolades and how great I was. And maybe it was an ego thing. I don't know. But it drove me to do more and want to do more and risk more and, t- and, and, and work almost 80 hours a week at one point, just burning it for this idea of success. That was mine. So what creates a merry heart? What's the opposite of comparison? It's thankfulness. It's truly real thankfulness. Not talking about if you're a kid and you go to pa- um, Raquel's office and she has this bowl of candies, you know? And if you get one your mom will say, or if you're a little kid, what are you gonna say, Johnny? Thank you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the real kind of thankfulness that comes from the heart that you just are so thankful for what someone has done for you. If you wanna open your Bibles, uh, either the Pew Bible or your own Bible to Luke 17 or online on your device, I'm gonna read you a story. And if you don't have it open, it's okay. You can just follow along. This is a story of the 10 lepers that Jesus heals. I read this and it just struck me. This whole thought of thankfulness. Verse 11, it says, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And I read that, I was like, 10, why, was, you know, why were they all there? Well, you know, if you were a leper, that was a disease that, it's, it's, it's brutal. I mean, there's 100 new cases in the United States alone that are diagnosed every year of people with leprosy, believe it or not. 180,000 people are struggling with it today. And no one would go near anyone if you had had leprosy. No one would go near you. And they even had these little bells that were tied around their neck. And when they walked, it would jingle. And that would be a, a warning sign to everybody. Oh, it's a leper. And they'd run. So I think these 10 guys got together and had enough courage all together and said, Jesus. He looked at them and said, go show yourself to the priests. Well, back then... If there was a miracle or healing, you had to go to the priest to validate it. the priest would say, yes, that is. He knew he knew the, the rules and he sent them there. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. And I just have this picture of these 10 guys, these 10 guys that may be struggling, struggling to walk. Maybe some of them had toes missing or, or, or some other parts of their face and their hands. And I get a picture of one guy, you know, with two fingers left and boom, they popped up. And he's, as he's walking and, and, and the experience that they all, Saw maybe the nose came back or something else, or an ear popped in. I don't know, but they had this experience walking and they were healed. And one of them, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God! He fell on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. Now, it's kind of interesting, <clears throat> the author tells us that this is a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans were the, the half-breeds. They weren't looked upon as everybody else. They were, they were looked upon as a lower class assistant. Nobody wanted to hung out with them. A good Jew would walk 50 miles around if they're traveling Samaria to go where they were going because they didn't even want to be caught next to anybody from Samaria. But interesting how God uses Samaritans on the Bible, doesn't he? The woman at the well, the good Samaritan, you've probably heard that story, and in this story, And Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? I think he was a little upset. I think he, because he goes on, he says, has no one returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? He was a little bit ticked. I don't know. He He was mad. Where are these other guys going? You can see in this picture here. They were excited. They were blessed. They had been given a gift, but they forgot the giver. Ever been there? I know I have ever been there where you've forgotten the giver who's given you everything He's given you blessed, blessings beyond belief so many things that he's given us and we forget sometimes I think that's what happened and this one guy comes back and in this great picture he's thanking Jesus true thankfulness brings joy brings joy but no other thing can so enjoying the ride true thankfulness creates a merry heart. <clears throat> Get to the point where you have so much excitement and joy and your emotions, you can't contain them, that you change from that, that mean old picture we saw of Scrooge and full of hatred and, and, and hard heart to this picture of a guy that can't contain his joy, can't contain his love, can't contain his wanting to bless others. And if you listen to the story, it's exactly what happens. Exactly what happens. So how to keep greed out as I close up. How to keep greed out of that little greed monster. How do we keep them from, from growing in our lives? One is to make God first. And when I say make, why did I use that word make? Because it's work. It's not something. We all have put God first. I, you know, but it takes work. It takes a decision. It takes intentionality to Make God first in your life. A long time ago, I heard Pastor Brian talk about praying and, and I heard him say what he did every morning and I started doing that years ago. Do you all have a prayer life? Now, for me, I had a coin-operated God where I needed something, I put coins in the slot, pulled the thing and hope it all lined up. Oh, I got three. And that's what I thought. Or that's what my relationship with God was like. Today, every morning, I get up and I thank him. I might not say the best prayer. I might not do the best thing, but the first thing I do is thank him. That he give me another day to do something for him, to serve him, to bless others, my family, or other people, you, to do something. Because you know there's someone that didn't get up today. I thank him every morning. So do you have a prayer life? Do you spend a few minutes thanking God? I hope so. Next thing is time. What do you spend your time on? and we all have to work, we have to make a living, we all have to, other things to do, but we all have little pockets of time. Now, I'm not talking about giving up your solitude time or your Sabbath with God says, take a day off. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about other time. If you're asked to serve or asked to help, sometimes I ask people to usher because we are short. Sometimes maybe you're asked to help and serve in a ministry here and, and we, because we see that you have a talent, maybe with kids downstairs in life camp or in some other ministry. Do you say yes? learn to say yes when people ask you and learn to look for opportunities to help and bless others. The culture today says, oh, I need my time, me time, okay, maybe a little bit of that, but come on. And the last thing is finances, making God first. And we talked about it last week, this idea of tithing, of putting that first tenth, that first fruit, it says in the Bible, give it to God. Now, I did that for years and I, I, I did it out of, I guess, obligation or obedience, and I didn't really understand, didn't really research, I just did it because I was told to, and I, I was a good Christian, and I wrote the check. And I didn't understand. God says to test me. He wants to bless us. And there's a story I learned years ago. I read, read about a story of this young pastor who came out of Bible school, and he was all full of it. He was like, I'm gonna change the world. they all fired up. And he met with one of his elders, and the elder was a very successful CPA Financially, very well off. And his kids started to talk about what he was gonna do and all this other stuff. And the elder had this wisdom. And he said, listen, I'm gonna gonna ask you to do something for me. And he slid over a checkbook. And in that checkbook was about $5,000. And he says, I want you to whenever you possibly can, help somebody in need with this money I'm giving you. And then when it's out, I'll put more back in. Yeah. So if anybody wants to volunteer, Pastor Brian and I are ready. No. <laughs> but the, the, the story was they would meet once a month and they would have breakfast and they would view everything this pastor did and the people they helped and they would praise God and they would, they would be excited. And over a period of five years, they did this. And this guy went from thinking God was lack and because and he had a, a little bit of hard heart with finances and he, he did things out of obligation, but he didn't do it out of love. He didn't do it because he had a merry heart. And what happened was it changed him forever. Today he's very successful at his ministry and he owes a lot of it to the story of this one guy that invested in him. He understood that God is not lacking anything. There's unlimited resources. He has it all. I I remember my life a few years ago and I'm not sharing this with you because I'm anything special, but God put it on my heart to help somebody that didn't have any heat. I found out this this, uh, older couple just was in a tough spot and they were pulling off paneling, off their walls and throw it in their wood stove, and you know, I tried to ignore it. Honestly, I did. I was like, eh, somebody else help him. But honestly, and you no, know, he kept putting it on my heart. I said, okay, okay. And I called a buddy of mine, and uh, I said, how much is a quarter of wood? How much was it? You know, he told me it was like hundred bucks, and I looked at my checkbook, and I had a decimal point problem. <laughs> I just didn't have it, you know. But I wrote the check out anyway. I'm not recommending doing that, but I just felt this overwhelming revelation that I needed to do it, and I did. I, lo- I grabbed a truck, I loaded up a wood, I went over, I delivered it to, to this couple, and I felt good about it. And I went home and checked the mail that Saturday. It was a Saturday. The mailman came, and in that post office box or a little mailbox that day, there was a check for over 10 times that amount made out to me that I had no idea was coming. I had no idea why, other than I looked at it, it was was an estate thing that was, I thought it was all settled and I don't know, I didn't expect anything. And there it was. Oh, what a blessing. You cannot outgive God. If he asks you to do something, do it and watch him work. So I quickly said, okay, God, what's next? (laughs) And that's not why we give. I'm not trying to tell you that story because that's why, but that's the heart of it. Just do it. Putting him first. Another way to keep greed out is Pastor Brian talked about it over oh, the last couple of weeks, sacrificial giving. Now, we have several ways to do that, but usually it's something that's uncomfortable. It's usually something that's um, not easy or convenient. It'll stretch you, but it's usually exactly what God wants you to do. I mean, this heart of Christmas, you know, that we're talking about giving to that. I know I've already written out a check and can't wait to put it in there. And I hope you all participate in that because there's, these people are hurting, man. You know, imagine not, I mean, a lot of us, imagine not having knowledge of where you're gonna, if you're gonna have enough for to eat or you're not gonna get through winter. I mean, because I, it's cold or I, I just can't even imagine. We take so many things for granted. Sacrificial giving or this act of kindness idea. Every year my wife goes shopping. And a lot of times I go with her when I feel it's safe. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> usually after Friday, right? And, and she grabs these, she kisses a whole bag of them. And I watched her do it one year and it was kind of cool. We're, we're checking out and she gives it to the clerk and says, Merry Christmas. And they're busy and they look up and they go, well, thank you. And they, they, it's like a shock. And they take it and it's fun. Now I look forward to when are you going shopping? Let's go. Because I want to do it too. And it's, it's kind of neat. Everybody, they don't expect it. Imagine doing something like that or paying for a coffee for somebody or a meal or just do something a little bit, stretching yourself. and A little act of kindness just blessing someone. It's sacrificial giving, isn't it? a couple of our life groups um, um, <clears throat> are, are decided to give some baskets and make some things for people that were in need and didn't have any. And I see a couple of folks at one, one of our life groups that they went and they gave a, a, a basket. Uh, they made a whole bunch of goodies and stuff like that. One of the gals is pregnant. She's due, I think, next month. And, you know, it's just so cute watching her. She's very, you know, she's doing all this. It's probably uncomfortable for her but carrying this turkey thing and all, but she's full of joy because she's giving, she's doing something. She's being... Doing life with a merry heart. That's exactly what it is. Last weekend, um, a bunch of us from a couple different life groups got together and, and helped a guy who's in tremendous need. He's got um, liver failure. I think 99% of his liver is gone. And, you know, he's in the hospital and he's struggling and he can't clean up his yard. So these about 20 people descended on his place. <laughs> and we had a war with the leaves, you know. And here's just a picture of, of some of them, it's just some of the people that were there. And we had a great time. We worked really hard. I had blisters in my hands and I was like so thankful that I wasn't playing guitar that weekend because I don't know if I could have. But this is just about half of them. Were, and we had fun. The kids were helping and everything. We worked really hard for several hours and we did a great job on this guy's lawn and he was blessed. You know, couldn't even come to, couldn't even say with words how, loved and blessed he was for us doing that so maybe you need to do some of that this year maybe this is the year maybe you never thought of this kind of stuff it's so, okay i'm willing to if we could bow our heads and close our eyes and maybe this message message will hit you in some capacity maybe you thought you know i'm a little bit too greedy i, I maybe i'm a little too selfish maybe i'm focused on my way and it's a time for a change. And I'm willing to. I'm going to take that step of faith and say yes. Or maybe God is talking about something totally different. Maybe it's something else that he's dealing with, and that's okay. The Bible says that we have all fallen short. We have all missed the mark, fallen short of God's ideal plan for our lives. We have all sinned. And if that's you, and you're saying, you know, now's the time, I'm willing to try. I'm willing to change with every head bowed and every eye closed. You can you just raise your hand? Say, yes, that's me. Thank you for those hands. Yes, that's me to several of you. Thank you. And while we're just, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if we could just say this prayer together. and You don't have to say it loud. Just say it to yourself. Lord, we come to you with our stuff things that we've done that we know are wrong. And we ask you for forgiveness. And we accept the forgiveness through your son, Jesus, that paid the price for us. And all God's people said, amen.